Virtual Podcast from ITS. My name is Eric Ferguson. I am the Communications Manager for ITS, and I'm used to being the third smartest person on this podcast, but today I am the fourth smartest person on the podcast, ah. because in addition to Andrea Reynolds, Jason Webb, the OG crew, how are you guys doing, by the way? Everybody doing good? Great. Happy New Year. Yay! <laughs> Off and running. The other voice you hear is our guest today, Zeke Leonard. Assistant Professor in the School of Design within the College of Visual and Performing Arts. He is a member of the Environmental and Interior Design faculty, and he's the coordinator of the School of Design's first year experience. He is also an incredible musician, an incredible uh, maker, an incredible human being. We were lucky to get him. Zeke, thank you very much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So um, Zeke, you're a professor in the School of Design. Um, and we, we are recording at this specific time because earlier today you were actually teaching a, a course, a, a Winterlude course. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in this two week, one credit uh, little adventure that you're, that you're in, in the middle of? It is an adventure. It's, a, it's well, like so many things this year, it's a one-off, right? So um, there was a thought back in probably November or October that when students came back from the break that they would have to quarantine for two weeks before classes started so that anybody for coming from out of state would have to kind of just sit in a dorm room for two weeks. And so what, um, what uh, John Liu proposed was that we would do this series of kind of little two week courses based loosely on a Maymaster model, um, but they encouraged one credit courses. So it'd be kind of something to keep the students, give them something to do. And then, uh, but then also, uh, you know, maybe learn a little something on the way. Uh, that model, of course, has changed. So now uh, students, I think, just have to show a negative COVID test within a certain number of days of return and they're fine. But these classes are on the books. So this is this, it's not, it's technically a Winterlude course, but it wasn't within the Winterlude, the typical Winterlude calendar. And new this particular course, yeah, it's new Winterlude. It's, it's uh, interim Winterlude. Um, and so this particular course is just a daily drawing course. So we're every day uh, we meet for an hour and a half and we uh, do a little bit of drawing. We started by making sketchbooks out of typing paper and cereal boxes. And then every day we um, were doing, they have four drawings that they have to do every day. About half of my students are students who had my drawing class in the fall and are taking my drafting class in the spring. And so they're just kind of doing it as a way to get back into a daily drawing practice before they're in class and they know they know me and they know that they're going to have to do a lot of drawing uh, so they're kind of ramping back up but, but actually I've had I've got some really interesting students I've got a linguistic student and an early childhood education student oh. um, so I've got some students who liked art in high school but then didn't uh, you know haven't really pursued that in their time at SU uh, and are and so it's, it's been really fun it's been a really interestingly broad spectrum of students so I want to I want to take a step back and then we'll we'll talk about a, another dimension of this. But can you go back to how they make how are they making their sketchbook? Did you say cereal well, boxes? In typing yeah, paper. In typing paper. In typing yeah. paper. Um, if you go to my YouTube channel, you can see the video and you can make one yourself. It's very. What's your easy. YouTube handle? Zeke, um, Zeke, what's your YouTube channel? What is my what is my handle? I think it's just Zeke Leonard. <laughs> I, I think it really is just Zeke Leonard. Um, and I love it. so. Um, I put a, so I'm a big fan of, uh, I, I think that for people in the creative fields, a daily drawing practice is important. And I think it's important to treat drawing uh, the same way you would treat 
any other skill maintenance, right? So, um, you know, every single ball that you throw isn't going to be the final pitch of a no hitter in the World Series, right? But you still got to throw 50 throws a day to keep your arm limber, right? So, um, I feel the same way about drawing that ever most almost none of the drawings I've ever made deserve to be in a frame, but they are it's maintenance work, right? So to that end, I like to have these these little this kind of sketchbook. You know, it's just brown paper. It's not a it's not super fancy. It's just a little paper sketchbook, um, in part because it helps keep the the context more casual, and so you right. don't feel if you have a you know, I mean, people every year for Christmas, people give me these like $50 handbound, beautiful leather with amazing handmade paper sketchbooks. And I'm terrified to ever crack them because like, what mm -hmm. if I do a bad drawing? Right. And yeah. And so then you've, then you've ruined this beautiful thing, but this is, I mean, this is a $3 sketchbook, man, you know, so you could fill it with bad drawings and no one's ever going to care. But so I like the idea of making these uh, it's a very simple process. It takes about five minutes. If you've got a needle and some dental floss and a cereal box and 10 pieces of typing paper, you're off to the races. You've got a 20 page bound book. You've got a 20 page bound book. That's and it fits brilliant. in the back pocket of a pair of Carhartts. It fits in a jacket pocket. That's so you brilliant. <laughs> take it with you wherever you go. If you decide you want line paper, you can use notebook paper. If you decide you want graph paper, you can use that. If you want a mix of them, you can use that. So I really like these as this really casual kind of and then and then you feel like, you know, it's like, I mean, Eric, I think it's like the way you keep a ball glove and a ball in the back of the truck, you know, so that mm -hmm. if you want to, you can stop off at the park with with your kid and throw a ball for a little bit. And it's not like a huge event. So that's mm -hmm. why I start them off making them. The act of making becomes even more um, vital when you're making the tools that you use to make. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it, you, yeah, you have more of a connection with it. You have more of an interest in pursuing it because you have more of an emotional attachment to the tools of the endeavor, you know? Yeah. So do you, when you're in the course and you say, we're going to make our own sketchbooks, is it that they go and they watch your YouTube video or do you do it in the middle of a synchronous class or how does that work? Well, it depends on the class. So this class is only an hour and a half long. So for this uh -huh. particular one, I posted the video ahead of time. And then sent out an email to Blackboard, you know, posted the link on Blackboard, sent out as an announcement, said, okay, everybody, show up the first day. Having this done is 10% of your final grade. Show up the first day and prove to me that you made a sketchbook. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I, that we have all found about Generation Z is that they're, um, they tend to be most responsive to uh, either punishment or reward-driven modalities. So saying, hey, it would be cool if you do this won't make everyone show up, but saying it's part of your grade means that, you know, 12 out of 12 of them showed up with a sketchbook that they had made. And there for 12 out of 12 of them, they'd never made their own sketchbook. So even if the whole rest of the <laughs> yeah, class is a wash. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So if the whole rest of the class is a wash, at least they've done that, right? They've had that experience and that's learning too. So that's fine. If I were in this course, that would have been the most hands-on work that I, I mean, in terms of like crafting something that I probably would have ever done. So that's like a, just a unique experience right there before I've even done what I'm actually there to do, which is draw. Uh, and so getting getting back to this idea of making the tools you're going to use to make things, um, you've talked to me about this off air. My whole life now is divided into on air and off, off air because of this <laughs> podcast. So right. I've, I've I was talking off air with Zeke. It's no big deal. But um, we were talking about uh, <laughs> we were talking about your uh, one of the courses that you taught last semester 
where um, kind of given how the semester was going to play out, you had them make some tools ahead of time. Can you talk a little bit about that process and, and how that fit into the overall course structure and syllabus? Sure, sure. So um, my most of the classes that I teach rely heavily on being in person. It's just, uh, um, and this particular course, you're talking about DES 341, which is uh, um, it's a fabrication skills course. So typically it's a woodworking for half of the semester and then steel work for half of the semester. And it's really just a straight skills course, right? How to use a table saw, how to make a mortise and tenon joint, how to use a welder, you know, a bending brake, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we, but you know, I mean, we all thought the world was ending. None of us had any idea what was going on. Uh, in the over under, I thought we were gonna be remote by October 3rd. You know, I had no idea that we were gonna be still in class almost to the end of the semester. I was really, I have to say, I was really impressed with 90% of the students and the way that they really took everything seriously and the way that they were really conscientious and wearing their masks and washing their hands. And, um, and I really think it's because of the way that almost all of the students acted that we were able to be in person so late. And it really, uh, it really saved the, that particular class because that's a shop class. Right? I right. mean, most people don't have a table saw in their dining room. So if we're trying to do this <laughs> from home. Shop virtually. Yeah, right. No, or really, virtually. I've, I've tried that, you know, when you try to run the thing through the computer, <laughs> it doesn't get to the table saw somehow. Um, I think it's about your bandwidth. So, I think that's what it is, Zeke. No, bandsaw, not bandwidth. Is oh, bandsaw, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Different. I need to put an Ethernet cable on the bandsaw. On the bandsaw. There you that's go. It. And then all the problems yeah. are solved. Um, so the thinking was that... Um, that what, what I would do is we got some kits together and I had them build some basic tools that they then, as long as we could be in class for the first two and a half or three weeks, I had them process all of the lumber on the big machines in that time. And if they had to, they could then take that home and with the equipment that we made and the equipment that were in their kit, they could have finished all of the projects at home. Um, luckily, we didn't have to do that. Uh, but it's, but it was, it really made me rethink the structure of the class. The structure also changed because we took the metal section out entirely because we didn't have any way to sanitize the welding leathers and the gloves, you know, like mm -hmm. you can wipe the helmets down, but how do you sanitize welding leathers? Um, mm -hmm. So we, so we just had to kind of scrap that whole half of the class, uh, which, you know, it's too bad because Welding is such a different thing from woodworking, but it's still a big part of fabrication. And so there's, you know, it's nice. It, it, there's a reason it's there, but just for this semester, we had to just yeah. mix it. I used to be a tech teacher in K-12. It's fun to hear all the like stuff that you were doing that we used to do in K-12. Like you're bringing them back to the old school and I absolutely love it. It's, it's funny to hear, but at the same, same time, it's like, oh, that's great. So that return to, to roots. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also coming from uh, middle school tech uh, with an underfunded school where the first, um, the first two semesters, they're like, okay, can you teach coding without computers? And it was like, oh, sure. I sure can. Um, but you can, but you can. And I think Zeke, you're proving that you can still continue this, this idea, this education. It just takes a little bit more ingenuity. Um, and to Jason's point, a return to, to the basics. Yeah. Well, and it certainly has made me, I mean, 
this has been kind of one of the worst years of, of I think, most of our lives uh, in a lot of ways. But I have been reflecting on it a lot because it, it, there also have been things that come, have come out of it. One of the things for me as an educator has come out of it has really made me spend a lot of time with my core principles, right? Like, what am I really trying to teach? You know, is it, is, am I teaching how to use a table saw safely or am I teaching a method of thinking within which we recognize that the world that we inhabit, the cultural that we inhabit is composed of made objects and spaces and that the making of those objects and spaces follows a certain methodology that is accessible, right? So like, it, which is, you know, at the end of the day, I also have to teach them to use a table saw safely, right? So like, there is yes. also that. Let's not forget but, that part, yes. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it is a, um, it has been interesting as an educator to be, uh, to be forced to rethink that. Jason, just so that you can see some of the stuff we built, because as a shop person, you'll recognize this. So what we built is we started out by making these three things. Um, obviously a mallet, right? And then a bevel gauge, and um, a bevel gauge is a is a tool that you can use to transfer angles. So part mm -hmm. of the class, we're cutting dovetails by hand, and so we need to be able to mark those um, those dovetails. And then what they're sitting on is called a bench hook, which is actually a medieval uh, method for holding a workpiece. Uh, so it woodwork, unless you're carving, woodwork is very very hard to do if you can't keep the, the workpiece stationary while you perform whatever actions you're performing on it, whether it's with a saw or a chisel or a marking gauge or anything else. And so that bench hook, it's a, Z, it's a kind of a Z-shaped piece of wood that you can put onto any work surface. And then you can position your workpiece against that back part where you can you position your workpiece here against this part that's screwed down. And as you push into the workpiece, it's held stable and it doesn't move. So it's actually, a, it's a kind of a clamping device. So in the process, however, of course, the learning that, had, and this is what I mean, what I mean when I say I had to step back and think about what is it I want them to learn. They started with the mallet, which taught them to surface rough cut wood, use the joiner, the planer, the bandsaw, the table saw, and the stationary sanders. So we actually got all of that learning just in making the mallet, mm -hmm. right? And then we move on to a slightly more precise set of skills with drilling out the holes in the bevel gauge and joining those two drilled holes with a chisel and then using a file to smooth out that slot, right? So now they're learning about marking and precision. They're learning about matching angles. And then when we get to making the, um, the bench hook, they're learning to process sheet material, which is a whole other kind of, you know, hardwood and solid wood is one kind of processing. Sheet material like plywood is a whole other kind of processing. But also, if you look at the bottom there, those are called finger joints, which are, uh, uh, they were invented, well, and they're invented is a little bit of, in, in question. Um, there are joints that look like finger joints that are as much as five or 600 years old, but they really came into their own in the 19th century with uh, industrialization of woodworking techniques. Um, you're going to learn a lot of woodworking history and trivia on this conversation that you will never need again as this, long as you live. This is absolutely why people tune I, in. This, this is why people tune into Behind the Monitor to learn about medieval woodworking. Yeah. yeah. I am on like a couple trivia teams, so this is just helping. I appreciate okay, good. You're filling that 
lobe of nonsense with more nonsensical stuff. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. So, but finger joints, uh, most people will know finger joints if you've ever bought anything from Ikea, right? Mm -hmm. Ikea has made billions of dollars off of little finger jointed boxes <laughs> and finger jointed drawers, right? Like it's a really common joinery method. So just in making these tools now, the students have learned, you know, almost all of the processes that they need. And we made all of those tools in the first two and a half weeks so that when we got kicked off of campus, because I kept thinking that was imminent, obviously, we, we didn't. We all did. Yeah, right. I mean, we all thought, we all thought the world was ending, right? But so the, so the thinking was that, you know, by the, if, we, if we had the first three weeks on campus, at that point, now they've used all the tooling they need to use. They've learned a lot of the uh, joinery techniques that we're going to use for the rest of class. And they've got the, tool, they've got the tools that they need to, do, to make that joinery. So that was the thinking behind it. Um, in hindsight, I think I would have done a few things a little bit differently, but some of that stuff I'm keeping. Some of that stuff is gonna yeah. is gonna move forward in the class, um, not least because, I mean, you know, it's cool to use stuff that you've made, right? That's I mean, I made right there, right? <laughs> this uh, I made this in 2006, and I use it all the time. This uh, um, it's an oak mallet. I guess right. You, I keep forgetting this was conversation for recording. This is an oak mallet that I made that has a poplar face, so it has an oak striking face, which is really hard, and it's a poplar striking face which is a lot softer, but I love using this mallet, man, you know, in part because I made it in part because I made it for my hand. It fits my hand. So this is another mallet. This is a, this is a beauty. So this is a, um, what is a, a piece of, this is a piece of dogwood. This is a chisel mallet and it's a piece of dogwood. And it's, uh, I made this in 2004. Um, but you can see, I don't know if you can see the handle has been kind of polished for me holding it so much. And it's, um, and it like there's something there's something about wielding a tool or using a tool that that you brought into the world that's just intensely satisfying. And so those students are going to have mallets and wait, hold on, bench hooks and I'm sorry, what was the third piece? Bevel gauge, yeah. Bevel gauge. Bevel gauge. I knew it was bevel something. They're going to have those things that they made in 2020, and they will. I mean, not that they need a reminder, but they will think of like here's something good that came out of that. Like, well, and I mean. You know, so there are so many times in my life that it all comes down to putting just the right amount of force in just the right place. And a mallet's a really good way to do that, you know? And so they're going to, they're going to, they can use them to drive tent stakes when they go camp. I don't know what they're going to use them for, right? They're not, they may not go yeah. off and be woodworkers, but, you know, a, a, a banger is a good something. thing. To, they made something. They, they and did. I mean, this is, that's something they can give to their great grandkids. You know what I mean? I mean, this, this, uh, <laughs> This saw right here, this saw belonged to my, my great-grandfather, right, yeah. who I never met. He died 50 years before I was born. Um, but when I hold it, my hand holds it the way his hand held it, right? I can talk to him through that object. It becomes a telephone, like a haptic telephone. And it's a, and it's a way. So these things that these students made, if, you know, maybe they burn them. I don't know. Maybe it's just really expensive kindling. But maybe it becomes something that somebody in their family that they will never meet has a connection to them through an object they made. Have you used any um, new technologies or resources or are there technologies that you would like to understand better for the future that you think would help you teach more effectively or even just in your own, you know, personal work? Like, are there, are there, you know, 
video editing software or any anything like that that is maybe before seemed like well, that's not my thing but now you're like well maybe it should be my thing yeah there's definitely well i mean none of it feels like my thing right i mean i i'm <laughs> I make sawdust. I'm bad at numbers. I'm bad at the digital interface. Um, I chafe at having to learn new software outside this. That's podcast. why we have you on here. <laughs> Eric, Eric has heard me kvetch at length about being forced to learn new softwares. Um, but what I will say about all of that is that so um, it, the school design about thirty percent of the school design are international students, and uh, and so we. And, and many of them, for many of them, English is a second language. And for some of them, English is a, is a very distant second language. Um, and one of the things that, especially in the skills classes that I've noticed is that some of these how-to videos I've made have gotten kind of, I mean, not lots of hits, but if 25 students in the class might have 40 hits. And what I'm realizing is that it can be really hard to pick up skills in a language you don't speak about stuff you've never done and to do it on the fly. Right? So one of the things in the drafting class that I do is I teach students how to read a scale ruler, an architectural scale ruler, right? which is a weird enough concept to begin with if it's not something you've ever done before. The idea that a half an inch equals a foot and you can figure out what an inch and half inch scale is and how that translates. Like that's a, I mean, it's a complex concept and it can take some time to... But then if you think about trying to do that when you've only ever known metric and you've never dealt with inches and feet at all, and you've never dealt with drawing and scale, and it's in a language that you don't really speak, and scale suddenly means length and not weight, right? Like it is, that's a lot. That's a lot for an 18 year old to process. So one of the things that I think has been, that has come out of this that I, that I do intend to use is these little how-to videos that I'm making. I'm gonna keep posting them on Blackboard just because it's something that somebody can go back to and hit the pause button. Right. And so one of the things that I've done in my drafting class is I've made a point of we have a lot of uh, a lot of our international students are from China. And so I've made a point of having a TA who speaks Chinese, who's a year ahead of the folks who are in the class. And what I, and I have noticed that what happens is in a conversation like the scale conversation, I'll teach it while they're working on the exercise. My TA will go over and check in with all of the Chinese students who are like, what just happened in my life? You know, I don't even, and so then she'll, and I, and I've, I, I'll watch them go through, I'll watch whoever it is go through that conversation with them again. So some of this stuff I think is gonna be really helpful. I think it's gonna be really helpful to have that conversation as a video that I can put on, on Blackboard, just post, I always make a section, right? I put all the stuff in the content section on Blackboard yes. and just post it there and say, if you need to look at it again, here it is. To your question about um, software that I wish I knew, I'm, I'm wishing that I had forced myself to learn Premiere. However, my ability to assimilate new software is, um, I, it is not one of my proficiencies to assimilate new software. And so I- well, I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of Kant in here, Zeke, and we're all about a growth mindset here um, behind the monitor. So I think- <laughs> We look forward to working with you on Adobe Premiere. Um, Agreed. I'm I'm all in to help you out. I was going to we'll say that's, that's all, Jason. Do not come this way. I'll get your <laughs> final cut. Uh, this is what my office now looks like. Um, uh, and that, I think there I'm showing how to build a Bristol board cube.
And so I'm like, this is as tech as I can get, right? iMovie is- pretty good. This is pretty techy. It's right on the Your camera positioning is perfect for the full overhead. Like you're, you're, you got it. That's a lot of work. All right. So here's what we're going to do. This game, I, uh, I invented this myself. It's called What's Norther? I'm going to give you two locations and you tell me which is further north. Farther north, not further, farther north. Farther north, I like first one to First one to three correct answers wins. So if you guys are just right all in a row, then Zeke can go do his, do his stuff. Number one, Detroit, Michigan, or Syracuse, New York? What's norther? Who answers? Who gets the answer? Anybody, it's jump in. Oh, okay. It's Go, Jason. Shout. I'm going to go with Syracuse. You think we're Jason farther? Webb, one point. Okay, so Jason, just hold up a one. That's your, that's your point that you have. Okay. You know, I got one point. <laughs> Number two, St. Petersburg, Russia, or Copenhagen, Denmark? Whoa. Oh, he's gone international. I feel like I almost don't know this because of the way a globe sits so i'm sitting here spinning a globe in my head but if the globe yeah. were to be flat it's not same same so now i'm like i, I think denmark <laughs> is really far north i do I think, too i think copenhagen but i could be wrong about that you are wrong about that oh, <laughs> russia 59.9 degrees north latitude copenhagen 55.5 all right montreal <laughs> quebec or Milan, Italy, what's norther? And I will say that this is very close. Is it really close? It is actually Because I feel close, like yeah. Montreal would be more north, wouldn't it? Let me count that as your answer. Andrea is correct. Montreal oh. is more north. But next time, you're really going to have to be more definitive. <laughs> Montreal, please. <laughs> that sounded more okay. like in the form of a question. Yeah, right. This isn't, we're Different not doing game. Jeopardy. Yeah. Okay. Zeke, let's get you on the board. Um, Cairo, Egypt, or New Orleans, Louisiana? What's norther? I guess I'm going to say Cairo, but I don't. Zeke is on the board. Yeah! I'm realizing Cairo. that I, I have a very foggy idea of where the equator is. In Asia, in Africa. In Africa, right? I think yeah. it's below. It, it, it's below Egypt, correct? God, I feel like a dumb American right now. I know. Yeah, I feel like a dumb American. <laughs> okay. Apologies to, to the millions of people who live in Africa. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Due to time constraints, we're going to make it next correct answer wins. So the stakes could not be higher. The stakes could not be higher. Boise, Idaho, possibly Boise, Idaho, or Sioux Falls, South Dakota. What's norther? <laughs> I'm building a map in my head. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it should be Boise, but Idaho's real Zeke tall. wins! And more importantly, thank you for talking to us about uh, the, the role of design and teaching in today's world, in today's, who today's world. Um, today's Andrea, world. Jason. Thank you, as always, uh, for joining me on Behind the Monitor. Thank you, listener, for joining us on another and quite possibly, well, it's definitely the longest. And also possibly, I don't want to say the best because that makes people get their feelings hurt. It's this a very like worthwhile episode. episode we've what done. was that? This is the coolest oh, yeah. episode we've done, for sure. I, I, think, I think that's 
I mean, Dan Jeske is a close second, but I think like this is a, this was a good one. All right, well, thank you, everybody. Hey, thanks for the work you do, y'all. Thanks for the support on your end. Thank you, Zeke, for taking these kids and and elevating them. It is so needed, so so needed. All right, we'll see y'all soon.